1: Hello everyone, I'm Chris Wynn and welcome to the Roker Report podcast in association with the Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen, where we once again build up to our next League One fixture as we still sit at the top of the league table. And ahead of our next fixture at Fleetwood Town for a second appearance on the Roker Report podcast, we are very pleased to be joined by the chairman of our next opponents, which is of course Andy Pelley. Welcome Andy. Thank you very much Chris. How are you keeping Andy? You okay? Really good, thank you Chris, yes. Yeah. yeah, good stuff. And it's uh, it's been a while. Uh, the last time we caught up was almost a year ago, back in November 2020, uh, which was, of course, in the middle of a strange season behind closed doors. And uh, we, we talked in depth then about the financial kind of aspects, you know, the, the kind of damage that was being inflicted on uh, the Football League clubs due to fans not being able to attend. And and again, I've I've saw since that you're still kind of making comments about making football more, more sustainable. I mean, obviously, since we spoke, there's been a lot of discussion, but... I mean, from my point of view, you, you're obviously more in the mix, but a lot of it seems like it's been brushed under the carpet since then. Um, is that how you see things or, or, or are talks still ongoing?
0: Well, I am disappointed that uh, there was not more of a rescue package put forward from the government and, and the powers that be, perhaps the Premier League, I felt it was their duty to, um, perhaps their obligation to assist in their hour of need. The vast majority of the Premier League clubs have, have spent time with the EFL. And to have such a long, sustained period of time without supporters and without any form of revenue has really, really hurt. I think there's a misconception for many, for many football supporters out there and probably from the, the general media that all is well and that um, football is back as it was. But that is not the case. And uh, really all that's happened, and this is not this just a, a Fleetwood issue, is death has just been... Um, really kicked down the alley, and uh, virtually, well, the vast majority of clubs have got obligations to HMRC, and uh, it's been a very, very tough time. So HMRC has probably become the unofficial rescue package, and uh, yeah, it's been it's been a tough, a tough 12-18 months. My job as Fleetwood chairman is to ensure that there remains a, a football club in this area. It brings a great deal of quality of life and pleasure to the local community, a great deal of pride mm. when we do well. And I must uh, do all I can to uh
1: continue that at as high a level as I possibly can. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, last time we talked about it, we were we were right in the thick of that season. I think think things were pretty raw when we were talking about it. But now it's you know, come we're we're into that next season, we can kind of look back at it a bit. But how do you look back now from a from a obviously a, specifically a Fleetwood point of view in, in how you dealt with it as a club? Because you've just mentioned that community side of it. Were you able to keep all you know as much of that as possible going to help the community while you were also dealing with all of the the trouble that, that the pandemic kind of inflicted on the club?
0: It's very difficult to. I mean, we did our very best, and ourselves like uh, many EFL clubs, we uh, we did contact our supporters and we tried to remain uh, engaged with them and to to maintain their positivity in this most testing of times. Uh, but there's nothing quite like going to the game. Is my mm. opinion, and um, you know, the, 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 when you score a goal, when you win a game, um, even just the, the the general atmosphere and the the pleasure that a football match brings, we were no longer to, uh, able to deliver. So we did our very best, and uh,
1: that's all we could do at uh, that difficult time. Do you still feel that like you're, you're dealing with the, the you know the mess that the past eighteen months has kind of left behind? Well. <laughs> I think
0: every club, what happens in the pre-season, you make a decision as to what your aspirations are for the forthcoming season. And my decision was that uh, we're going to cut the wage bill. Uh, we backed the previous manager significantly. We still have a healthy wage bill, but we did. We went for promotion under Joey Barton. Uh, we brought in fairly big name players for a club the size of Fleetwood. And uh, we, uh, certainly in my opinion, we, we had a right go. Uh, what we're doing now is we still want sporting success. We still want to win every game. Of course we do. Uh, but also, what we, what we want to do is we want to create some asset value. We want to be that club that can really uh, get the benefit of the fantastic sports complex that we have as our training ground. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a, a we believe it's a Premier League setup. We have we've got 13 pitches and you name it, we've got it. Uh, really, our training ground. So we're attracting really, really good young players, and uh, the intention is to give them a. Uh, a dose of uh, a chance in first-team football this season. And uh, we do believe that they're good enough to uh, to still obtain the sporting success that we long for. So really how I'm looking to measure success this season, win as many games as we can. If we want to finish mm. top half, top 10. Uh, it's my belief that there will be probably six or seven clubs that you can name right now that will be at the very top of the division and probably a mini league at 12 clubs below that. And if we can... Mm. Uh, feature at the top of that, 12 clubs, then I think we'll have done quite well.
1: Yeah. And, and you mentioned the training ground there. I, I was reading kind of, you know, off the pitch, you've just opened a, a large facility, you know, that can host around 400 people in an outdoor settings, you know, that people yeah, dining facilities. Um, I read that you're going for a category two class academy at the club. So it seems like, you know, you've gone in a slightly Obviously, a certain direction on the pitch, but but off the pitch, it seems like things are are really progressing still.
0: Very much so, Chris. Yeah, we we I think in business you always have to make a decision as to what uh, what your business model is going to be. And we're we're probably best described as a disruptor at this level of football. We're a very very small town. We've got a population of circa twenty five thousand people, and we clearly do punch above our weight by by going toe to toe with clubs like Sunderland and Ipswich and Sheffield Wednesday. And, uh, you know, certainly uh fairly regular mm-hmm. occasions, historically, we've managed to get results against Sunderland. So uh, we mm-hmm. do okay. Uh, but what, uh, what I've got to look to, I've got to look to the future. And I don't think it's right that any football club should be reliant on any one individual putting money in. And so I've got to mm-hmm. aim to make the club sustainable. So the best way to do that is to, is to trade well the commodities that you're dealing, the commodities that we deal in as a football club is players. So uh, it's about getting the best young players in. we just have planning permission for an indoor dome as well. and uh, Work will start on that in November. So we have got a truly outstanding um, sports complex training ground. And uh, we want to develop those stars of the future. We want to give them game time. We want to shake their hands and we want to move them on again and uh, watch yeah. them on match of the day on a Saturday night. But we also, <laughs> I want that spring in my step on a Saturday night uh, when we've got three points and... Uh, uh, when we've been successful on a Saturday afternoon.
1: Yeah, well, ideally you want to see them on a Wednesday night at the new camp after you've just sold them for, <laughs> for tens of millions. But, aid, uh... Absolutely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, as as I said, we we kind of spoke late uh, in November of last year. But it was only six weeks after we spoke, fourth of January this year. Uh, it was after a run of uh, one win in eight games, which actually started with the fixture that we were previewing when we last spoke, which ended uh, ones each, you parted ways with uh, Joey Barton as manager, who's obviously one of uh, favorite of Sunderland fans, of course. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but listening back to when we spoke, um, you were talking about, you know, you'd known him for a long time before he came manager, you know, when he, came to the club and he was training with the club and, you know, you, you went over to visit with him in, in France and things like that. And kind of considering you'd just lost out in the playoffs and um, at the time Fleetwood were on the same points as Sunderland at the time, actually sitting three points outside the playoffs, that must have been a really kind of tough call to make, you know, on a personal level and kind of professional level as well.
0: It was, it was really tough. Um, I've got a lot of time for Joey as a person and uh, I backed him. Um, significantly for a club the size of Fleetwood uh, and, but he was there for two and a half years he was, he was with us for two and a half years uh, when I look back his tenure was a success not many rookie managers get two and a half years he got us to the playoffs and uh, we we did we did pretty damn well we really did he gave a lot of youngsters their, their debuts but I felt we'd lost our way I felt that it was no longer a happy camp and if it's not a happy camp then I don't believe you're going to get the results that you need and as owner you have to make those big calls sometimes, and uh, you know that's that's part and parcel of the role that I that I have. Um, I believe that if I can put my hand on my heart and I can look at myself in the mirror, and if I can say, I might not always get these decisions right, but I'll I'll, I'll always do them, for, do what I consider to be for the very best of the football club. That's all I can do, and uh, I've no regrets. Um, I think it was the right thing to do. With hindsight, uh, we brought in another big uh, favourite at uh, uh, Sunderland, Simon Grayson. Um, and, uh, um, I've got to say, it's working out really well. Uh, Simon's got a much smaller wage, built his disposal. He gets the business model. He understands that um, we want to win games, but we also want to give some of the younger players a chance. We want to develop some asset, asset value. And uh, after a tricky start, uh, some tough fixtures, we're, we're turning a corner.
1: Yeah, and I mean, just just going back to obviously when when you made that kind of huge decision, you know, I mean, I'm well speaking from Sunderland fans' point of view. There's been many times over the years where we've we've changed changed managers, like you know, a pair of trousers because uh, it's been an unhappy camp. But I mean, on on the day, the statement that you put out, you said how grateful you were, as you've just said to to Joey Barton, and Joey Barton, in his statement with the LMA, he talked very highly of Fleetwood and and you as well. You know, in terms of giving him that opportunity with that initial statement that he put out, w- were you kind of slightly disappointed that? It seemed like every time he spoke after that point, he seemed to hint that there was an issue here or something wrong there. Or, or do you accept that's just part of the media game that seems to be played in these instances?
0: I think I Think you should always um, leave somewhere with an elegant exit if it's uh, at all possible. And um, I think if you're going to be a football manager for a long time, you have to live in the real world and you have to understand that there is a, there's more than a strong likelihood. It's almost inevitable that you're going to get sacked at some point. There's not many not many managers get a gold carriage clock at the end of a 40-year career. Football just doesn't <laughs> work like that. So uh, yeah. you've got to face the reality of it. Um, I think, in fact, I know uh, I treated him very well and I think I gave him an opportunity when many people wouldn't. And you know, from my point of view, um, publicly I'll always thank him for everything he did. Uh, if he felt it was unjust, I said that that's his opinion. Uh, but football is a cruel game, and not always. You know, people don't don't always get what they may consider they should. Uh, but uh, yeah. ultimately, someone's got to make those decisions. Mm-hmm. That was me, and uh, as I say, the decision I made, I still consider
1: this to be the right one in the best interests of the club. Yeah, yeah, and, and like you said, you, you eventually went for for Simon Grayson um, towards the end of uh, January, and, and I read as well that you, in one interview you said you were absolutely. Kind of swamped with CVs <laughs> sent from all over the world that you had to sift through, and and you said, um, and I think you said at the time as well how important it was to get that appointment right because of obviously the timing and the direction you wanted to to take the club as well. But I mean, in terms of those CVs, Simon Grayson obviously has four promotions from League One on his CV. I mean, was that the thinking behind it in terms of kind of almost seeing him as a specialist in what you wanted to achieve? I think it was a huge factor, Chris. Definitely. Uh, Whenever you're you're
0: looking to fill a position in in whatever the sector is, you're looking for a proven track record. And I appreciate Simon. Um, Didn't have a great time at Sunderland. I think it was probably a tough gig at your place, uh, whereby that uh, whoever came in, uh, I'm not sure it was quite a poison chalice, but probably not not far off, really, with the uh, momentum that was actually in the building at that time. And uh, equally, Bradford and, and Blackpool. Sometimes you've got to go at a club at the right time. Um, I do believe that we are uh, a pretty uh, stable uh, football club and uh, i've been I've been chairman now for 17 years. I took over when I was 34. so I know the place inside out and uh, I do believe in longevity I believe in continuity. I think that's probably known throughout football and that's probably why there was a lot of people who applied for the job because I don't enjoy um, the process of changing manager. I don't think it's in the best interest of the club. Uh, very often it's only if things are really on a downward spiral and uh, you cannot uh, resolve it and you think you cannot sit down and uh, talk it through and uh, find some common ground, mm-hmm. that, you, that you have to go through it. So um, I think managers, they look for they look for facilities, they look for is there enormous pressure and expectancy? There probably isn't at Fleetwood because we punch above our weight and uh, mm-hmm. it's not at one of those clubs whereby you must get promoted and if you're unsuccessful for three months then, uh, you're not going to see Christmas if you can manage up as well as manage down. And if you can, if you can win games and really win games that
1: perhaps people wouldn't expect us to win. And there's every chance you're going to get a couple of years at least. Yeah, and, and and we said you know you you took those kind of four weeks to to really kind of try and get that right appointment. I mean, by that time, you know, for probably multiple reasons, you kind of slipped down to fourteenth by the time Simon Grayson came in, and then you finished the season in fifteenth, which was the lowest league position since since 2016. I mean, was that you know the upheaval of change of manager? Did you kind of just write off last season where you just thought, right, the rest of the season we're going to devote to transition to where Simon Grayson wants to take the club? What happened
0: is we had downward
1: momentum and momentum in football is huge. And uh,
0: whether it be upwards or whether it be downwards, Simon's job was to, um, was to turn us around, really, because uh, we were, we, I think we were something like three points off the playoffs when uh, Joey departed. And uh, we, again, felt it was the right thing to do. But we had to really turn turn around that downward momentum. We were on an awful run. Simon steadied the ship and uh, we got a few lone players in. We brought a few youngsters into the first team. And uh, that's what it was about. It was about maintaining the divisional status. It was about building again for this year. Uh, we also lost what I consider to be two of the best forwards in the league. We lost Chad Evans and Paddy Madden uh, prior to Simon coming in. And uh, that was that was pretty much a hammer blow because um, your forwards, I do believe, very often will turn a, a loss into a draw or a draw into a win. Uh, so uh, that didn't make Simon's job any easier when he actually came in.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, and I want to talk about the, the transfer business that you got done in the summer in, in a second, but uh, it seemed like a really, well, from an outsider like, like myself, it seemed like a really strange transfer window. I mean, were, do you think clubs were really wary of jumping in this summer with kind of uncertainty on what would happen over the months ahead? I mean, did that make things difficult? Um, I think what we were looking for more than ever is we were looking for players that
0: we're going to play 35, 40 games. We're looking for value for money. Uh, We're looking for players who wanted to join us really for the right reasons, not just because it was their last payday. Uh, You you do, of course, need a couple of uh, more senior players. Uh, But we, we we looked at various factors And uh, the players that we brought in were, there was a lot of careful consideration. There was um, lots and lots of meetings. And I'm confident, I think we're going to surprise people. And I think
1: that, uh, um, I think we can finish in the top half comfortably. Yeah. Uh, Well, I mean, three of those players who you brought in, um, you brought, you know, a lot of experience. Uh, Tom Clark, Joe Garner, uh, who both played under Grayson at, at Preston and Anthony Pilkington. I mean, they were all, 33 years old, and, and you've brought them in. And, and You've mentioned already the amount of young players that you're trying to bring through. So, was that a conscious decision to bring in players with that sort of experience to, to help those young lads come through? Well, very much so. Yeah, the team is predominantly young, apart from those three players. Um, I mean, I say, I say
0: it's young, but I mean, we have players who are uh, 23, 24 years old who've played an awful lot of football, and you're, you're Callum Camps and Jordan Rossiter. Mm-hmm players like that, Alex Cairns, for example, sake, our goalkeeper, I think it's about 26, 27, good 200 games behind him. So they are the outliers in the squad, but uh, we do have, uh, I think, that nice blend. We've got a couple of, uh, well, we've got three or four in fact, really quite raw development players who've come through from the academy who are lighting mm-hmm. us up recently. They're, they're doing really, really well and, it feels like we've got to, we've got a good
1: mix. Yeah, and, and another part, part of the market as well I'm, I'm quite kind of interested in is the loan market. And I noticed you've brought two players in from Premier League uh, under-23 squads. You've also brought in, uh, I saw Callum Johnson from Portsmouth, who it looked like it was essentially brought in to replace another new signer, Brad Halliday, who unfortunately ruled out for the majority of this season. But uh, I think most clubs have tried to fill their matchday quarter of the five loan players on the books. Is that something you try to avoid with, you know, kind of January in mind or was it just kind of availability of the targets like that, that was preventing you from doing that?
0: Well, historically, that's a, we, we've always took our five lone players and we've always yeah. really made a decision that we want to ensure that they are players that we think are better than the players that we've already got in the building. Because mm-hmm. we do not want to bring blockers in. We don't want to go and just develop other people's players and to uh, ignore uh, the talent that we have within the football club and we've done that quite successfully historically I mean when I cast my mind back to the season that we got into the playoffs the players that we brought in are really really good players uh, in my opinion uh, this season what we've done is we didn't want to bring in players for the sake of it so we've only brought in players that we think will make a difference over the squad over, over the course of the season into the squad and uh,
1: subsequently, we've uh, we, we've we've still got space for another couple uh, come January, uh, should we require them. One of the reasons I asked, I'm always quite interested because every club seems to have a different idea on on that loan market, and for the first time, Sunderland have filled that quarter. So um, it's always interesting to hear you know people's uh, views on that loan market. But uh, but yeah, I mean I mean looking at the the players who've left the club, it looks on paper when I was looking at the list of players who've left. That actually, as you said earlier on as well, you've been able to trim the numbers of the squad down. I counted nine who've left on free transfers. I mean, there, there might be more that I've missed. But I mean, the main departure looked to be uh, Wes Burns, who'd been a big part of the side for the last four years. Uh, was that a disappointment that he left to join Ipswich? I think
0: Wes had been really good for us, and I think we'd been really good for Wes. But I think things do run their course um, after a period of time. And uh, Wes has family. Uh, who are down south we got offered a reasonable fee and uh, we accepted that fee and so uh, again it comes back to acting in the best interest of in the football club and um, we also have got a player who plays in that position who we think is really really exciting and um, well he's done really well so far this season uh, unfortunately he was injured in the weekend
1: and uh, hopefully maybe back on Saturday but well, that was also a factor Yeah, and it always seems in the in the modern day, that it's always an undisclosed fee. That's um, always that's a mo- modern modern part of football. But uh, but there you go. Um So I mean, overall, uh, are, you, are you kind of pleased with the business you've done in the summer? And do you think you're you're better equipped for this season than you were for last season? Pleased because um, the uncertainty of the
0: post-pandemic, or hopefully, it's post-pandemic world, um, means that we we have to. Uh, for me, the right thing to do was to trim the squad. I mean, I, again, I look at the League One table this year and I look at you guys, I look at Ipswich, Sheffield Wednesday, Charlton, Portsmouth, yeah. Rotherham, um, there's some really, really big clubs in in the division this season. There really is. And I think it's going to be hard for us to to really compete right up there, numbers-wise anyway. It would be almost reckless of me uh, to throw in the kind of money that I believe we would need uh, to, to get right up there challenging for what's an automatic promotion. I think we can be that uh, that disruptor who can uh, surprise people. Uh, if we can get that positive momentum, then I think we can we can get into the top ten, and who knows, maybe even even into the playoffs. Uh, but it's important for for us this year that we do give younger players a chance, that we we create asset value, but we also must must win football games
1: uh, because that's the, that's what it's all about. Obviously, going into the season, um, this is your eighth season in League One. Um, you've lost out in the playoffs twice in that time, but uh, but like I said, last season was the lowest bar that season in in twenty sixteen. I mean, on the face of it, you, you've kind of already mentioned that kind of second group, but um, maybe with the fans as well. If you take that into account, what is the expectation now for Fleetwood Town? Would would you say you're in a in a big period of transition where you're coming out of that those kind of pushes for for the top six, and you, you're trying to do that in a different way? I think the
0: expectation is. Uh... Is that uh, we can finish mid-table and to, to, well, hopefully in the top half. I think the fans would share uh, my expectations, certainly the realistic ones. <laughs> and uh, you, know, you <laughs> have to, you have to be realistic because um, the best players will go to the to the biggest clubs with the biggest crowds and of course the best wages. And so it's always going to be an uphill struggle in that respect. You look at any league uh, in any pyramid, really, and uh, it mm-hmm. tends to be that uh, the players will, will go to the clubs that are paying the, the most wages. And I always think as an owner, uh, there there's a league table which is published, which is, um, I think it's confidential, but it actually goes out to each and every club and it tells you where you sit um, within the league with your budget that you've submitted to the EFL. And so mm-hmm. let's say, for example, say we're 12. If we can finish any higher than 12, then I think that's success. If we're six and then on the on the budget and we're finishing eighteenth, then I'm not very happy. <laughs> so you have to try and overachieve where you uh, where you line that uh, that uh, budget
1: league table. Yeah, and you can probably see where the disappointment was coming from uh, Sunderland fans over the last uh, few years. But uh, but that's a different, uh, different kettle of fish, that one. Um. But go Yeah, looking at this season again, you, you lost the first four games of the season. Uh, and there was a defeat at Stoke in the League Cup. But the three League One fixtures that ended in defeat, Portsmouth at home, followed by Lincoln and Sheffield Wednesday away. I mean, that's a tough set of fixtures to start with on paper. Uh, they were all close defeats, all by a single goal. Um, did you deserve more out of those first three games? I think we we seem to master the art of
0: narrow defeats, uh, which, is, <laughs> which is not a good art to master. Uh, I mean, Portsmouth fans, by their own admission, uh, knew they got away with a robbery. Uh, we had lots and lots of chances. We didn't take them, particularly in the first half. And uh, they got a goal pretty much on the break. Uh, we couldn't score. Stoke away is very, very hard. Uh, went down okay. 2-1 there. Uh, Lincoln, we conceded a penalty in the uh, the last few minutes, probably 88 minute, uh, lost 2-1, and Sheffield Wednesday one 0 away at Sheffield Wednesday. There's no disgrace there. Um, yeah. You know we were playing 15, 16 years ago, five leagues below the football league, uh, so to go down one by one goal at Hillsbury uh, is not bad. Yeah. Uh, but uh, again, we were starting to get that down with momentum, and though we have an exciting crop of young players. My concern, the manager's concern was, um, are they going to start to doubt themselves? Are they going to start to um, just to lose that confidence that is required uh, to win football games? Um, but we went on with we beat Cheltenham, which was uh, a really, really important result to, uh, to get points on the board. A tricky fixture away at uh, Plymouth. Um, mm-hmm. We drew 1-1, which was, um, well, it was a really good point, I think. I mean, Plymouth beat Sheffield Wednesday the weekend. Uh, comfortably 3-0 and great results on Saturday winning 4-2 away at Rotherham and uh, that showed we showed real character there because we had a harsh penalty against us um, right on the blow of half time and many teams many Fleetwood teams in the past would have felt sorry for themselves there and probably would have um, lost the game but uh, uh, thankfully uh, we rolled our sleeves up, we kept believing in ourselves and
1: we get, we, we were really good value for uh, an excellent result yeah, I mean, just looking at the loss, 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 wind, or, you know, it's it's been a season of two offs already. Um, but I mean, it was a an improvement in performance and that ran in parallel with the results, or did you just start getting a, a bit of a kind of rub of the green?
0: Well, bizarrely, I think the first game we won, which was against Cheltenham, was probably our worst, worst performance in the season. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's just uh, sometimes you do get the rub of the green, and that's definitely what happened. And uh, we got three points on the board and the world's a better place and um, we're bouncing into the next game and,
1: you know, we're pretty upbeat right now. Yeah, I was going to say, you're unbeaten in four, um, including the the Papa John's uh, trophy against uh, Leicester under-20 threes. Um, But uh, considering the run you're on, combined with the fact that you're at home this weekend, is it a case of, you know, just kind of you fancy yourself against anyone at the moment? Yeah, I think we
0: do. Um, I've got... I've got. What I consider to be a barometer built in. I can feel the mood. I can measure the <laughs> mood within the training ground, and the, the mood is confident right now. We're in a good place. A big smiles on the face and uh, buoyant. Uh, so you know we'll have a good go. We know we know how good Sunderland are. They're not top of the league for no reason, um, and it's
1: something that we're really really looking forward to. And I mean for the for the travelling. Sunderland fans, what type of game should we be expecting from this Fleetwood side? Because uh, as you've mentioned, we've had some pretty tough games, pretty rough games. But you know, in the last couple of seasons, you know Fleetwood have always been kind of in our faces, on the front foot, pressing from the off. Is this a different Fleetwood side that that we're going to face on Saturday? I
0: think it is slightly different, but it's very very hard working. It's maybe not quite as Joey Barton as uh, as you described. Uh, but uh, uh, we've got pace, we've got we've got skill up front. Uh, we've got really really good midfielders, and we don't concede many. I think um, I think we'll give anybody in this division a
1: really good game, and I think we've proved that so far uh, throughout the campaign. Yeah, I don't think there'll be half as much uh, shouting from Sunderland fans to the Fleetwood bench. Uh, yeah, but but I was I was again looking at looking at your games, and I noticed um, the goals have been. Uh, seemingly kind of spread out across the Fleetwood squad so far. So um, who should we be wary of on Saturday? Who's going to be the danger men for Fleetwood? Probably recently, Callum Morton has been excellent.
0: I uh, don't know how much you know about Callum Morton. He's on loan from West Brom. He, he was at Northampton a couple of years ago on, on loan. Did really, really well in the playoffs. And um, he was one of the main reasons for their promotion. Went to Lincoln last year, got injured. Uh, but he's a he's a he's a real player, Callum. He's he's very very mobile, real goal threat. I think he's got four in the last two, so uh, he's uh, he's in a good vein of form. Um, and again, our midfield is very strong. I think uh, um, Callum Cam, Jordan Rossiter, Jamie Tetti. We we we've got an array of
1: talent in midfield. We're a solid, hard working team. Yeah, uh, obviously, you know, b- kind of big game. And I think the last couple of seasons, well, not not last season, obviously, but um, it's always a, a good trip to, to Fleetwood. And I was looking at the, the ticketing on the Sunderland website. And uh, from a Sunderland point of view, the, the game's a sellout. And I imagine it was great to get back against Portsmouth at the beginning of August. But uh, it's games like Saturday that, you know, it's exactly what we were missing out on last season. And it's it's kind of great to be back and watching games like this. Well, first
0: of all, what I would say is uh, I really, really wish there was more of your guys coming because um, <laughs> the revenue is gratefully received. But equally, we we want to uh, create, we want to see a football stadium with as much atmosphere as we possibly can. Uh, but our ground is not big. I'm sure you know everybody who's been will, will, will be aware of that. We're very very landlocked, and uh, we can only make the best of the facilities that we've got. Uh, but I share your 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 comments entirely. It's just so good to see fans back in stadiums. It was an awful, awful year. I mean, I was fortunate enough to go to games, but it just wasn't the same. It was almost, uh, it was almost boring. Uh, when you scored, it didn't feel the same excitement as it normally does. And uh, just to have the colour and the noise, the supporters back in, um, it's appreciated more than ever now.
1: Yep, and it, and it was uh, it was typical Sunderland to go all the way to Wembley and then win there without any fans there uh, it was uh, typical typical <laughs> Sunderland, but uh that can <laughs> yeah and i'm sure actually i was going to say as well with Sunderland fans i'm sure there'll be uh, uh as Sutherland fans do there'll be plenty going without a ticket so i'm sure the the local uh the local pubs in and around the the ground will be doing a fair trade during the game as well but uh but on, on saturday as well i mean i'm not sure i'm not 100 sure if uh lewis dreyfus is uh going to be there for the game um, you made the trip north just after the takeover went through back in February. So, have you already had a chance to to meet and catch up with, with our new owner?
0: I've met him over Teams, and I've got to say, I was really, really impressed. He was a a charming, intelligent guy. It really was. Um, I think, uh, and I think he's he's involved in Sunderland for really, really for the right reasons, and I think he's. Uh, an incredible owner, the very best that Sunderland could could have hoped for. I think Sunderland are very, very lucky as a club to have somebody like that as the owner.
1: Yeah, I'm partly interested because I can't imagine, there's not many 23-year-olds around the table (laughs) when the (laughs) EFL owners get No,
0: well, absolutely. I was 34 (laughs) when I took over and I thought that was pretty good, but 23 uh, is ridiculously young, so uh, every credit
1: one yeah. well, one thing he's dealing with actually, which um I'm looking to kind of pick your brains on a little bit. Uh, he's dealing with it at Sunderland, and it's a big talking point up here. And actually, as I read earlier on that it's a big talking point at uh, at even at Manchester City. Um, Sunderland have made a recent decision to go completely cashless. Um, in and around the ground, um, and they've made a decision to only provide tickets online rather than physical tickets from the ticket office. And there's been a lot of stories causing issues with those who don't have access to purchase tickets or or still want to use cash. You know, there's a lot of kind of elderly people who who just want to maybe walk up to the club on a Saturday, buy a ticket and, you know, just go straight into the ground. And some of them are are almost saying, well, I'm I'm kind of giving up on them because I can't do that anymore. I mean, how how difficult is it for for club owners to try and move a club forward? but to take into consideration you're the hub for the community and you've got to stay as inclusive as you possibly can.
0: Well, I mean, first of all, the cashless conversation is something that I'm very familiar with uh, because we, we have actually made the the exact same decision and mm. for a variety of reasons, really. Uh, the reasons are that um, it's very, very important for us as a club is speed of service. We want to be able to ensure that people can get into the ground as quickly as they possibly can. There's lots of problems that... Um, you can probably only relate to if you actually if you actually run a football club or work at a football club. I mean, the the, the time spent with floats, and you'll get a call on a radio saying you're running at 50p's on one side of the ground, and someone's got to run around with a bag, and uh, then you're cashing up. And uh, I mean, we've had two occasions whereby we've been broken into, whereby people have been attempting to steal the the takings, and these have been serious uh, professional burglaries with. <laughs> um, like angle grinders and um, circular saws breaking into safes. and They've done an awful lot of damage just trying to take get the takings. And we do relate to the concerns. I think uh, I can cast my mind back to there was a time whereby we used to let people walk up and pay cash on the turnstiles. And we had a similar uproar, really, when, uh, when we stopped doing that. We said, look, you've got to buy a ticket now because we're now in the football league. You can't just walk up with your £5 note or £10 note or whatever it is now and just get in. Um, we had a little cash box behind the turnstiles, and people running around with money everywhere. So uh, I relate to it being a time of change, but I do think that uh, I do believe that virtually everybody has some form of bank card, and if they don't, they have a friend who can uh, assist them with it. And uh, hopefully, we can get everybody uh, conform to this because I do think it's better—not just for the football club, I think it's better for the supporters. Whereby, I mean, we have systems now, for example, say if if people want what a pint of beer at half time Uh, before they go out before the game they can just go and use a machine and they tap it with their card they get a ticket out and a a number and the the, the drinks are waiting for them when they come out and it's embracing technology to try and enhance the the supporter experience yeah
1: and I, i mean just think i was just thinking there about you dealing with issues like this um i think this is your 18th year running the club is that i right? think it is yeah i think it is are you still enjoying it i mean do, do things get any easier with experience i love it um it's it's my life
0: and uh it does, of course it does get easier with experience you know what you're doing um more than more than ever i guess because it's second nature there's probably things that uh we now do as a as a, as a management team that we probably don't even realize just because we've done it for so long and I'm fortunate enough to have a really good team around me. and You know, it's an overused phrase, but it's very true. You are only as good mm-hmm. as the people that are around you.
1: Uh, on, a, on a final note, um, I mean, last time we spoke, like I said, it was the best part of a year ago. Um, you got me pretty excited about a uh, behind-the-scenes documentary uh, <laughs> which um, you sent, sent, sent me the trailer for. Um, and I, was, I watched a few times back then. Um, it was scheduled, last time I saw so it, was scheduled for release this year. Um, but what's what's the latest around that documentary?
0: The latest is we've got six episodes ready to go and it was due to be released on July the 21st. Unfortunately, there was uh, there was some legal issues which have meant it's now been delayed and it's scheduled now to be released in January. Very, very frustrating because we've done a deal with a TV network. Uh, it's going out in over 200 countries. I think it's a, a fascinating watch. It's very gritty. It's very real. This is not... A, this is not a Disney movie like the the, the Man City or the Spurs one. Um, this is uh, this is it's very similar to the to the Sunderland one, but perhaps a, a, a lot more dressing room access and a lot more access of uh, the uh, the charming Mister Barton as well.
1: Yeah was was that part of the conversation with uh, with Simon Grayson when when you were interviewing him <laughs> saying uh, you know I'll no. promise I'll promise I'll get rid of the cameras before. <laughs>
0: no, no, not at all. I mean the the documentary was concluded by that. Uh, yeah. So uh, Simon was—it's was not part of his expectation,
1: but I'm not sure it's part of his <laughs> wish list either. After his Sunderland yeah. experience, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. And, and just out of interest, you said um, talking about what what platform they will be released on. So how will pe- people be able to access that when it's uh, eventually released? Well, we've done a
0: deal uh, with a, a platform
1: called DAZN. Uh, DAZN is uh, big in the in
0: the boxing and uh, a really really expanding TV platform, which I believe is part of the Freeview package. Uh, it's currently ninety nine a month. And uh, we were starting to promote it. It was starting to be part of a joint venture. It was being advertised quite
1: heavily, but uh, sadly it was pulled just a few days before its release. I'll look forward to that then. And, um, and yeah, so I, I just hope uh, you enjoy your weekend. Maybe not so much um, the result, of course, but I hope it's a good game. Just want to say thank you very much, Andy. It's been a pleasure, yeah. Yeah, really appreciate your time and all the best not for the still. season ahead as well. Yeah, and uh,
0: sincerely to you guys, it's uh, it's probably one of my very, very favourite fixtures throughout the the season. Uh, We're hosting Sunderland on Saturday. I've got to pinch myself to believe it's true and uh, I intend Mm -hmm. to enjoy it. So uh, uh, thank you for allowing me on the podcast and uh,
1: good luck for the season. Thanks again, Andy. Cheers. A pleasure, Chris. But thanks again, everyone, for listening. Uh, keep a look at a report for all the build-up ahead of the game against Fleetwood on Saturday. Um, also, keep an eye out in the usual places for the next podcast that should be dropping very soon. Uh, but from us, it's bye for now.